So today we're going to continue with the Christian worldview. This year we've been looking at rebuilding the ruins of a Christian worldview because our Christian worldview is in ruins because the world is bombarding us with their worldview. And we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks a Christian worldview of biology, of the world of living things. So we'll continue that this week. But before we do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we pray, Lord, with a sincere heart that through your created world we would learn more of you. Help us not to get distracted by the beauty in front of us because that is indeed a reflection of you, Lord Jesus, but help us to know you through your beautiful, beautiful world that you've created. Help us not to be distracted, Lord, by the things of this world, the busyness of this world. Help us to know you, Lord, not just believe that you exist, agree with your truths, but to know you, Lord Jesus. Help us to see you, Lord Jesus, to know you, to understand you, Lord Jesus, so we can become more like you. We want to become more like you, Lord, because our lives need to be a bold witness in this world. And if we don't know you, Lord, then we know the world. We don't want to reflect the world, Lord Jesus. We want to reflect you. Help us to focus on you, to understand you. Help us, Lord Jesus, today. As we come to your word, we pray in your precious name. Amen. So I have a question for you. Do you believe in God? Or do you know God? What's the difference? Well, I want to look at believing God as meaning, I accept that he's probably around. I agree that God exists. Yeah, I accept that. Or, do you know God personally? Do you experience God's presence? Do you understand him, love him, interact with him? How would you even know? How would you answer that question? Well, what if, what if we treated people in our everyday lives the same way we treat God? Would that be a good test, perhaps, for us to answer that question? So if if I feel like I really know God, if I feel certain that I know God, then maybe if I think about my interactions with God and then treated people the way I interact and treat God, maybe that would help us discern whether we just believe in him or whether we know him. Because if you think about it, take other relationships like a husband or wife. So if you you claim you know your husband or wife or you have a relationship with your husband and wife, would you talk to them? I'd suggest the answer would be yes, of course you've got to talk to them. How would you know them if you don't talk to them? What about, for the teenagers in the room, what about your mum or dad? If you said to me, yeah, I've got a great relationship with mum, I've got a great relationship with dad, unless they ask me to do something, of course, then I don't know if that's such a good relationship. I mean, would I believe that you had a really good relationship with your mum and dad if you don't think that they're meant to ask you to do anything? 
What about at work? What about in the workplace? What if you said, yeah, I've got a really good relationship with my boss at work, as long as he doesn't ask me to do anything? I mean, it helps clarify, doesn't it, that if we go to the natural, to our natural relationships, our human relationships, maybe we can learn something about our spiritual relationships. So have a think about that. What if we treated people in the same way we treat God? It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that um, it almost tells us what knowing God isn't. I mean, knowing God is not putting the toilet seat down because really putting the toilet seat down is just ticking off a list of rules and regulations. Keep him happy. He won't whinge. He won't bug me if I just put the toilet seat down. And knowing God, it's really not having the best time we possibly can and and have as much fun as we possibly can and scribble on the walls and, and think that he's smiling at us and that's knowing God because we're having fun. I mean, that clip tells us that knowing God is not actually calling Jesus our Lord and Saviour, but not actually wanting him to tell us what to do or for him to be the boss of our life. It's just in name only he's our Lord, isn't it? You see, to me, that clip really defines what knowing God is not. But on the positive, what is knowing God? What does that look like? Here's some ideas for you to consider. You gain insight and instruction of truth. You get a positive outlook on life. You deepen your love for the scriptures and God. You become prosperous as you apply the insights gained. You grow and become stable in the Christian life. You develop a strong prayer life. You're motivated to ministry. You're motivated to repent and live better. You find the peace of God when you're lying in bed before a job interview. You get a clear focus to guide you in making decisions. You see, this is the life of knowing God. Not following rules, having fun or deciding that you know what's right or wrong. Do we live this? Do we yearn for this? Are we looking for this? Are we asking God to show us how to know him? But you see, that takes time and effort to know God. And there's a big obstacle in our day-to-day lives to living this life of interacting and knowing God. And that obstacle is this syndrome of busyness. Man, are we busy. And we all have this kind of busy-itis diagnosis some weeks more than others because knowing God takes time and energy. It doesn't just happen when it fits into our schedules. And what are we busy doing? Well, we're busy watching TV and we're busy having fun scribbling on the walls and we're busy playing computer games. Are we really that busy? If we've got time for computer games, if we've got time to watch hours and hours of TV, if we've got time to think about what can I do next to have fun? Or maybe we're busy doing all these righteous things, helping all these people. But I don't think Jesus is impressed with our busyness. You see, he's asking us to choose what is better. So how then can we get to know God? If this is our heart's yearning, 
if we want to know him, if we say, yes, that's the life I want to lead, how do we do that? Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Not rush around and tick off all these things on your to-do list and know I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see, he made this pretty clear to us when he visited Mary and Martha. You'll remember this story well. I think about this story when I'm rushing around. He came to visit Mary and Martha. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she listened to him. Martha, whoo, she's busy, 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 preparing, getting everything ready. And I think to myself, yep, getting the groceries, getting this, getting that, making sure everything's done, making sure the preparations are done. But Jesus made it very clear that he wasn't impressed with that busy, busy, busyness. He said, no, Mary has chosen what is better. And what did she choose to do? To be still and know God by sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. So what's this got to do with biblical biology? Because we're continuing today to look at a Christian worldview of biology. I want to present you today with the idea that God has given us this beautiful world living things all around us to help us to be still and to know he is God through looking at the beautiful things he's created for us. He says to us, but now ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the air and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the sea will explain to you Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? You see, God's created this world around us so we can learn about him, the creator of all these beautiful, beautiful living things. But we're going to miss it if we're too busy, busy, busy being Martha. You see, a Christian worldview of biology says we can learn more about you, God, if we stop, be still, and look at what you've created. A secular worldview would say, yeah, isn't it beautiful? Isn't this great? But fails to see the creator behind the created order. They're missing somebody. They're missing creator God. So what's biology? Biology is the study of life, all living things, plants, enormous amount of plants and enormous amount of animals the beasts the birds the fish the earth they're all there to tell us something teach us something if we would stop be still and learn from them you see it's easy to miss in our busy lives but god is saying see from these natural creatures and living things i want to teach you something of the spiritual world because god is spirit he wants us to know him he's a spirit but we have to stop and see the lesson from nature learn from the natural to learn the spiritual learn from the concrete learn from something we can see to learn something that is unseen which is much greater than the seen Interesting that Jesus often referred to nature when he was speaking about 
teaching us, when he was trying to teach us something. And he often spoke in parables using nature. Interesting he should use parables, hey? He said, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. I know the first time I read that, I got a little bit antsy. Do you remember the first time you read that concept of parables and he's actually saying, I use them on purpose intentionally so they may not see and they may not understand? I remember my first reaction was, why are you making it hard for me, Jesus? You don't want me to understand? You don't want me to see? Don't misunderstand what he's saying here. He's saying, if we don't slow down, we will only hear. If we don't slow down, be still and ask him, we will never understand. We will believe he exists, but we won't know him. He says you need to be still to think about a parable because a parable is something that you stop and think about, you ponder. He gave us a brain to use, not to rush through life. But are we content? Are we in this habit of just hearing God's word and, oh, yeah, I've heard that tick, put the toilet seat down? Or are we yearning to understand his truths and to understand him through his word? Are we content on just believing, yeah, he's around? Or do we want to really know him? Because you see, knowing him means that we can become more like him because our lives are powerful witnesses in this world. Isaiah tells us the same thing. He says, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. See, there's a big difference between seeing nature and then perceiving something in nature. To see something is to see, to look at. But perceiving, perceiving is to know, to learn, to discriminate, to distinguish, to know by experience, to recognize, confess, to consider. There's something that Jesus wants us to perceive. But if we're too busy, we'll only see. So let's have a look at one of the parables Jesus used, a parable where he used nature. He used nature to help us perceive, to help us understand, and to help us know him. So let's go to our Bibles to the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at chapter 13, starting at verse 24. So if you open your Bibles at the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. So from verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now just skip a few verses down to verse number 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. 
his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So let's just stop for a minute. You see, the disciples heard his words. He heard this parable. They heard this story, but they didn't understand it. So instead of just pretending they understood or not caring that they didn't understand, they stopped. They said, we're ignorant of this. We don't get this. We're happy to admit that, humble ourselves and say, teach us, Lord. Help us to understand. Their desire was to understand, not just listen to him and, oh, hurry up, can't wait till he's finished so I can get back to my computer game. They're actually yearning to understand. And he says to us in Psalm 25, 9, he says, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So if we humble ourselves and say, I don't get it, I'm ignorant of this, he says, I'll answer you, I'll teach you. But he can't do that if we're too busy. Let's continue on. He answered, Jesus answers them. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will, flow, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's slow that down. Let's ask Jesus to explain this to us because he's so willing to explain this to us if we will stop, be still and seek him for understanding. So we have this physical object, wheat, and we have this physical object, weeds. We have nature to help us understand here. He's saying, be still and come to my created world so you can understand. So let's just imagine um, that we're looking at a field of wheat or a paddock of wheat. And you can see in this picture that there's wheat and it's quite clearly there's weeds the green ones are the weeds and the wheat are the ones which are kind of yellow and bending over and you can see the weed on the end so let's just say you're standing there looking at God's nature saying okay what can I learn from God what can I learn about God and from God by stopping being still and looking at a field of wheat and weeds so maybe you know that Wheat is kind of ready to harvest when it looks like this because it's gone yellow and it's starting to droop. So you think, okay, I can understand if the wheat's ready to harvest that it would probably be tempting to pull out those weeds. So let's say you're standing there and you go and pull out the weeds. But you notice when you go to pull out the weeds, because they're so close to the wheat, you actually damage the wheat. And you think, aha. You see, if I pull out the weeds... I can't help but knock around the wheat. I didn't realise that till I actually see this in front of me and try to do what he's saying he doesn't want his servants to do. And if we think about that and we think about the wheat being the good seeds that Jesus sowed, which is us, but we're so quick to say, harvest is ready, need to pull that, we've got to get rid of these weeds, we don't want the weeds interfering with the grain then we can see how that can work out in our life. 
if we think that we can tell a weed from a wheat, if we think we can tell an evil person from a good person and they need to be weeded out and we need to judge them and we need to punish them and we need to pull them out, there's an effect on all the wheat around. There's an effect on all the Christian people who are trying really hard to stay focused, to know God. We will affect them too. What we do to one person in a fellowship will affect everyone else because we're all in the same paddock. We're all under the same sun. God shines on the evil and the good. We don't know who the evil and the good are. Only he does. So we learn that by stopping and looking at nature. But, you know, if we spend even more time learning about wheat, then we'll learn that just looking at the wheat is not the only way to know that it's ready to harvest. Because a good farmer will actually take a head of wheat off and rub it in his hands and he will do some tests on that wheat. He'll rub that wheat and he'll say, oh, that's still really soft, that's not ready to harvest yet. When he rubs that wheat and it's a lot firmer and it's hard, it's just kind of a little bit spongy, then he knows it's ready to harvest. So he doesn't judge by appearances just what the wheat looks like. He actually undertakes some tests on that wheat until it's ready. It's interesting, isn't it, that God's the only one that really knows when the wheat is ready to harvest. And God's the one that knows what tests that we need as wheat to mature us. So maybe that will slow us down a little bit when we're looking at others and thinking, you know what? I think they're so-and-so and so-and-so. Maybe God's testing them. Maybe he's rubbing them between his fingers. They haven't hardened up yet to a world. We've got to be careful and slow down the process. And we learn that if we stop and meditate and be still and learn from God's nature, from his creation all around us. What about if we're looking at a field where it's only just shooting up out of the ground? Who can tell which is wheat and which is weed? So with young Christians, who are we to judge whether they're wheat or weeds? Or in fact, anybody we come across. They're just beginning. They all look the same to us. Only God knows. And there's another beautiful thing to note. If you spend long enough looking at a field of wheat, you see, wheat is the dominant plant. And what that means is wheat will actually push out the weeds. It will dominate. The weeds are weak compared to the wheat. You see, greater is he who is in you because you're a seed of wheat than he that is in the world, the seeds of the weeds. We can take comfort from that, that we're wheat, we're the dominant plant. They're just weeds. So no matter what's going on around you, in your paddock, in your plot in the world, Greater is the wheat seed than the weed seed. That's in us. God provides that for us. But we've got to remember we're wheat. So if we slow it down, we understand more than maybe what we first see. Come back and look at this couple of verses. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together together until the harvest at that time I will tell the harvesters what to do you see the servants were so quick to judge they were so 
quick to do something, to take action based on what they saw. They thought that this is what needed to happen. But you see, we need to understand that it's not only the servants in the Bible who are quick to judge. He says, be careful. This is a warning for all of us. We're all very quick to judge. We see it again and again in the Bible. Remember James and John when they came across the Samaritan village and they really weren't very welcoming? And Jesus had just told them earlier on in that chapter in Luke 8, if they're not going to welcome you, then dust dust it off your feet, move on. But no, 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 James and John went, nope. We think we should call down fire because they'd seen Elijah do it. We think we should call down fire right now. They're quick to judge, quick to take revenge, quick to take action. Jesus is teaching us, be careful. Don't be quick to judge here. What about Peter? Good old Peter. I sort of feel like Peter's the one we go to when we're looking for some problems. He shows them to us clearly. Remember when Jesus was arrested, Peter got that sword out, quickly split and cut off the priest's servant's ear. But Jesus rebuked him. Jesus wasn't looking for him to judge the situation and take action so quickly. In fact, could you imagine if Peter had his way? Because he was wanting to stop Jesus dying and going to the cross. Jesus said, no, I've got a plan I need to follow. Don't be so quick to judge here. And then all those people that Jesus healed and Jesus said to them, don't say anything. Don't tell people about this. And how many of them were unable to tell everyone they, they couldn't control their tongue they couldn't control their thoughts they were very quick with their mouths you see we've got to be careful to heed this warning because if we just stop for a moment so if you stop right now and just close your eyes and I just want you to stop and think about a situation from this week that you remember Yeah, I was pretty quick to jump to a conclusion and I was wrong. Or I was pretty quick to say something which I later regretted. You see, by nature we're quick to do this. And I just want you to stop, think about that situation and think, did I actually say something before slowing down and being still? Was I really quick to say something that might have hurt that other person especially if someone's disappointed us someone's let us down someone's hurt us are we quick to judge them maybe it was a situation where someone said something about you to someone else which was untrue were you quick to then make them the bad guy they were wheat and they needed to be pulled out and all of a sudden you're the righteous wheat so open your eyes We don't want to go back there. This is not a good witness for Jesus. We don't want to do this. And the way we can avoid doing this is saying, I need to remember every time I see a weed in my garden, every time I see a weed in the council nature strip, I'm going to make that my little cue. That I'm not going to be too quick to pull that weed out. I'm not going to be so quick I'm going to slow down and be still and slow down this natural tendency, this temptation we all have to speak too quickly, to judge too quickly. Because things are not always as they appear. The information we first get is only the first bit of information. It's not the full picture. Take a couple of examples. 
If you concentrate on the black writing, you see good, don't you? But if you concentrate on the white writing, you see evil. First appearances may show you one piece of information, but if we slow down, there's more information there. Here's another one. Are we so busy about me that we forget about you? It's easy to jump. The world's speeding up. There's a temptation to be busy, 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 busy and busy, busy with our heads and busy, busy with our mouths. Jesus says, slow down and know me. Become more like me. And then you're more likely to see the you. It's like the story of the pear tree. Have you heard this one about the dad who had four sons? So four sons. And he wanted to teach them a lesson about not being too quick to judge. So what he did is he said, okay, each son I'm going to send out to go and have a look at the pear tree and I want them to come back and then report back to me a description of the pear tree. Give me their view. So the first son went out in winter, the second one spring, the third one summer and the fourth one autumn. So out they went and then they came back and he asked them for their reports. The first son, he went out in winter and this is what he saw. He said, oh, pear trees, they're ugly, they're twisted, they're bent. In fact, I reckon pretty dead actually. The second son says, no, 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 no. That's not what I saw at all. He went out in spring. He said there were all these beautiful buds, the promise of life. It was just fantastic. There was hope. There was a beginning. That's what the pear tree represents. The third son said, absolutely not. You don't have a clue. He went in summer. He said it was beautiful. It was blossoming. It was green and it smelt so sweet. It was just so beautiful. That's what a pear tree is. And, of course, the fourth son who went in autumn said, no, 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 you all got it wrong. I really know what a pear tree is. A pear tree is laden with fruit. It is just magnificent because of its fruit. So they argued all amongst themselves as to who was right. And, of course, they were all right because in every season they saw something different. Over time they have more information. But isn't it the same when we meet someone or we interact with someone? Let's say we meet someone when they're in their winter season. Are we quick to say, bent, oh, their faith is dead? Are we so quick to judge and make an opinion of someone? Maybe they're just going through a season. We know what it feels like when that's done to us, when we think we're going through a season. But isn't it easy to do this to others? Jesus says, Be still and know that I am God. Because God is slow to get angry. The Old Testament tells us over and over again, I'm slow to be angry. We need to be slow as well. So if we stop and slow down, we can actually learn so much more about God and who he is. We can really know him. You see, he said in verse 37, he said, He that sows the good seed is the son of man. 
You see, Jesus is involved in the whole process, not just the harvest at the end. He's actually, he's the one that's sowing the seed at the beginning. So he's the one in charge of the whole process here. He knows who's good seed. He knows where the good seed is and he knows the weeds as well. I think I've got time just for a real quick story. When I was growing up, my dad was a wheat farmer. So the wheat story resonates with me. The wheat story feels comfortable for me. And when I was growing up, it was a bit of a like a, um, oh, I don't know, almost like a rite of passage, I suppose, or um, I don't know. It was like you could take on more responsibility according to what he would let us do on the farm. So to begin with, when we were quite young, probably six or seven, we learned to drive the ute. And you know, I thought I was pretty okay when I could go into fourth in ute. That was like... I drove in fourth today, so I thought I'd made it. But that was only really the first step. The next step was then if he allowed you to drive the tractor. That was something else because that was a lot more complicated. If he let you drive the tractor, it was like, wow, he really trusted you. The next step was to actually drive the tractor, not just around and around the shed 20 times till you got the hang of it, but he'd actually let you into a paddock and scarify a paddock. So for this whole process of planting wheat, so you'd have, um, if you had a paddock that was cultivated, so it had a crop in it before, it would need this implement to go around and just turn the soil over, which was a scarifier. So the first step after it had rained and it was dry enough for the tractor to go in, you'd go in with the tractor and you'd turn over the ground with a scarifier and you just go, it's a really ridiculously monotonous job. You just go round and round and round and round till all the soil was actually turned over. I made it to that point. I was actually allowed to drive the tractor in a paddock with a scarifier on the back. Now, the ultimate was to plant the seeds because that was the most important job. So you're driving a tractor now. Now, seed is expensive, as is the diesel. So this is expensive here if you stuff it up. So that's why you had to go through all these other processes before you got to the pinnacle of being able to drive the tractor and plant the seeds. I was ready, I thought. So the day came, I knew how to drive the tractor, I'd been round and round, the planter was on, and I went round once. So, you know, you start on the outside of the paddock, you go round once, and then you just come in a little bit, and then you go round again until you've planted the whole thing. I went round twice, and Dad's watching. He comes running over. I'm thinking, he's coming up to tell me just how good I am at this. He knocks on the, because there's a cabin and you open this big door and he knocks and he's laughing and he's laughing and he's laughing, which I didn't really appreciate until he explained to me, I was going round and round and I hadn't gone in, I was just going over the same patch of ground again and again. So you can imagine how much seed I was sowing into that ground again and again. You see... I thought that I could be in charge of this process, but my dad, he knew a lot more about this than me, had a lot more experience than me. I was quick to jump ahead. You see, Jesus is sowing the seed because he's our dad, he's our heavenly father who knows so much more than what we do. And in those seeds, each one of us, he has particular gifts for each one of us. So within each one of us is a beautiful gifting and a group of giftings. And maybe those giftings don't come out in the season of winter. Maybe we have to wait until autumn till we see that fruit. 
So we need to slow down the process and maybe be more gentle with one another because if we spend a little bit of time here, we'll understand that Jesus is the gift giver here, not us. He's the one that knows the gifts that he's given to each one of us. And he knows when the season is, it's time for us to maybe see the evidence of that gift in the form of fruit, not us. We would stuff it up like I did because we don't have all the information. We're not omnipresent. We're not omniscient. We're not everywhere. We don't know everything. We're not omnipresent. It's, it's not for us to do. This is Jesus' job. The second thing we learn from this part of the parable, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom. Not us. His angels will weed out the kingdom. You see, they're the ones that do the judging. Not us. Jesus is judge because Jesus is the only one qualified to be judge. We're not qualified. We will stuff it up. I can guarantee you. Because we don't know everything. Sometimes we might feel like it, but we don't. So we've got to be careful to leave that judging to Jesus. I mean, this is incredibly comforting if we know that Jesus is our judge and everyone else's judge. But we've got to understand what this judging is. So let's say you've been falsely accused. Let's say you've been criticised unfairly. Let's say someone's told a lie about you, spread a rumour about you, said something nasty about you that's untrue. That's pretty yuck, hey? That will start to bring up in you this idea, I need to get them back, this isn't right, I need to sort this, I want to take revenge. Well, you know, David in the Bible knew exactly how that feels because people were falsely accusing him of trying to kill Saul and seize the throne. He was falsely accused. He knows just how that felt. And he wrote Psalm 7 for us. He said, O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. So you see, David shows us the proper response to slander, which is prayer. But notice his prayer is telling us something about God, which will help us to slow down and not want to be so quick to judge. You see, God is actually the judge. He knows, he hears, he sees. So he's actually doing the judging every day. Do we really understand what judging is? Let's have a look. The word judge is to judge, to govern, to vindicate. I'll come back to that one, and to punish. I think we get to judge, to govern, and to punish. But do we understand that God as judge is also vindicating. What does that mean? It's to clear someone of blame or suspicion. It's to show or prove to be right, reasonable or justified. So when someone says something untrue to you, when you're falsely accused, you can rely on God to vindicate you. 
it helps to know that he is active every day to judge, to make things right in his timing and in his way. See, part of God being judge, if we know God is our judge, then it helps us to slow down so that we don't be quick to judge. And it's continual. It's every day. It's not like he's got it all sorted today, but he's snoozing tomorrow. Every day he's watching. He's active. So very active. So parables of nature help us to know God. Parables of nature help us to be still. They tell us great spiritual truths that show us something in the unseen spiritual world from the seen natural world. But we'll miss these truths if we're too busy. We risk only hearing instead of understanding. We risk only seeing and not perceiving. But the greatest risk is that we think we know God. But are we just simply accepting that he exists and agreeing intellectually with his truth? We can't be more like God if we don't know God. We're going to miss a personal, intimate relationship with God if we don't know God, if we don't slow down in this busy, busy world to sit and be still and learn from this beautiful world he's given us. James said, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. You see, by nature, we're slow to listen. But we're quick to speak and we're quick to become angry. But if we slow down in our life to be still to know God, we can do what Mary did. We can choose what's better. We can sit at the feet of Jesus and be much slower to speak and much slower to get angry and maybe not so quick to rip out those weeds, what we think are weeds, to ask God to send down fire and get that person. Maybe we won't so be so quick to get out that sword and chop off the pre-servant's ear. It helps to slow us down. It helps us to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen so that we can change to be more like Jesus. Just seeing, just hearing is not going to mean there's any change in us. We need to interact, be still and know him in order to change. In Romans 1.20, it says, for, creation, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We are without excuse. We have so much nature around us. If we would stop, be still and learn from nature, not just the beautiful spider that's sitting in front of us, not just the beautiful tree that sits in front of us, but what that's got to do with knowing God. How does this actually express something about the nature and character of God? He's slow to get angry with us. He is our judge. He is our gift giver. We would miss all of that with the parable of the wheat and the weeds if we didn't slow down and say, Lord, help me to know something about you from the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Not just that it's an interesting kind of story that it's a bit strange and a bit odd, but oh well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. 
He so wants us to know him. He is bursting for us to know him. We need to come to him and say, yep, I want to know you. Help me to slow down, sit at your feet and do what is better. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to do what's better. We don't want to do what's better in our own estimation, but what you say is better. And you tell us, Lord, that sitting at your feet and listening like Mary did is choosing what is better. Help us to do that in a world that says do more, be busy more. Help us to know that that's not the answer. That's not the way we know you better. But the way to know you better is to be still and to know that you are our God. Help us to look out the window, to walk out in your beautiful world and stop and reflect on the messages that you're telling us of learning more about your invisible qualities, more about your beautiful, divine, perfect nature. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray. In your precious name. And everyone said, Amen.